All right, we are in the Book of Acts series. We are getting near the end of this book. It has been powerful going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you got a Bible, go to Acts 22. Come on. And in this moment, we're going to go through Acts 22 all the way to Acts 24. And this is a moment where Paul is on trial for his faith. He's on trial in front of the religious leaders, but he's also on trial in front of the Roman uh, government. And he's standing on trial, defending his faith. I want to title this message, How to Handle Trials. How to Handle Trials. I promise you, every single one of us in this room has either gone through a trial, is going through a trial, or will go through trials. And trials, we may not stand on trial like Paul did defending our faith. Some of you might in your school, your university, and your family. You might have people who question why you believe in God, why you're a Christian. You might have to defend your faith in front of friends or coworkers or family members. But the reality is all of us will face trials of many kinds. And, and throughout the Bible, we see that trials weren't just about defending your faith. They're about walking through tests of your character test of, of learning how to respond when life is unfair, when you find yourself in situations that are beyond your control, whether you made bad decisions or other people made bad decisions or your government, your country, whatever it is that puts you in a trial, we all walk through trials. We all walk through tests. And Paul gives us an outline in these chapters on how to handle trials. Instead of being handled by trials, instead of trials squeezing the life out of you, learning to squeeze out of the trial what God wants you to learn, learning to make the most of it. So in Acts 22, verse 27, Paul's getting tortured. They're stretching his arms out. They're interrogating him. They're getting ready to beat him. And Paul shouts out, is this how you treat a Roman citizen? And they said, hold up, you're a Roman citizen? He says, yes, I am. The commander of the army in verse 28 says, I had to pay for my citizenship. Paul says, I was born a citizen. When Paul declared his citizenship, the torture stopped. The interrogation stopped. Last week, I talked about, how many of y'all were here on Labor Day last week? Come on, Labor Day weekend. We talked about winning the battle in here, that if you win in here, you can win out here. That Paul had to declare his citizenship, his identity. And once he did, the torture stopped. Some of you have been tortured by suicidal thoughts, depression, fear, shame about your past, shoulda, coulda, woulda. And it's time to stop shooting on yourself. Come on. It's time to stop shooting on your, uh, on your family members. And it's time to receive the forgiveness of God, the freedom from shame, the freedom from shoulda, coulda, woulda. Once Paul declared his identity, his citizenship, the torture stopped. And then they say, Paul, it's time for you to stand on trial. You will have a chance to defend yourself with a fair trial. You're a Roman citizen. You deserve a fair trial. Sometimes in life, we don't get a fair trial. We have unfair trials. And this group of people who stood in front of him, they hated him. They were called the Sanhedrin. They were the religious group. And they were accusing Paul of a bunch of things he didn't do. Some of the stuff he did do, but a majority of the stuff he didn't do. And he stands there and he begins to plead his case. He says in verse one of Acts 23, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias was so angry at Paul, he slaps him across the mouth. So Paul gets frustrated. He just sarcastically makes a, an insult back at the high priest. I love that Paul the apostle was like, he wasn't always 
flesh. Like he wasn't always perfect. He was kind of fleshy, right? He had like a little bit of a, he wasn't just always going to be spiritually sweet. Like he kind of talked back to people. He had a little bit of an attitude. I'm glad God uses fleshy people. God used people like Peter who didn't always make the right decision, right? He cut dude's ears off. God uses imperfect people. That's good news for you. That's good news for me. Cause how many of y'all know we're not perfect, right? We got some fleshiness to us. So Paul has this moment where he gets angry and then they go, how dare you talk to the high priest like that? Paul says, my bad, my bad. In verse six, he goes, listen, I stand on trial today because of the hope of the resurrection. In this moment, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the whole Sanhedrin, they blew up, right? This caused division. Paul knew what he was doing. He stirred up a riot in this moment amongst the religious people. And there was this uproar. And the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and began to argue against the Sadducees. And the riot got so bad in verse 10, it was so violent, the commander thought they were gonna tear Paul to pieces. So he ordered his troops, the Roman troops, to come in and to take Paul the apostle and bring him back into the torture chamber, the barracks. This is where they whipped Jesus, they scourged Jesus. This is the same place where Paul had once been stretched out, he had been beaten. So he's going backwards into that same place. And I love this verse right here. We're gonna stop right here and pray and then I wanna just teach about how Paul handled his trials. In verse 11, while Paul is in prison, awaiting his trial, People want to kill him. He's feeling alone. He's feeling isolated. He's feeling forgotten. He's wondering if anyone is going to help him through this trial. And I believe some of us are here today. You're going, God, do you know what I'm walking through? Do you know what my family's walking through? Do you know what I've been through? And, and the Bible says in verse 11 of Acts 23, that night, the Lord stood beside Paul. The master appeared to Paul in prison. In verse 11 of Acts 23, the Lord said, it's going to be all right. I want you to turn the person next to you and just say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I think that's a word for the church today. It's going to be all right. It's, sometimes we just lose our minds when we are going through a trial. We freak out. We're on social media. We're trying to explain ourselves. We're trying to defend ourselves. We're losing our, our peace. We're losing our sleep, right? We're analyzing the trial. And you will waste a trial if you spend your whole time trying to think your way through it, trying to analyze your way through it, trying to defend your way through it. You will waste a trial. You will waste a test if you think it's on you to make yourself get through this. It's on God. God's got your back. God is with you in the prison. He is with you in the trial. If you're going to handle your trials well, you need to just put your hand on your heart and say, it's going to be all right. This is what Jesus did to Paul. He said, bro, it's going to be okay. I love the next part. He says, everything is going to turn out for the best. Come on, how many are thankful that God's going to work all things together for good? Whether you got yourself in a mess or someone else did, when you surrender your trial to God, God always works everything out for good, for the best. You know, this last week when the Queen of England passed away, I was sitting in, in, in a meeting and my grandmother was in the room and Grand Grand's 98 and a half. I said, Grand Grand, you outlived the Queen of England. Come on, we got Queen Grand Grand over here, Victory. And she's still ruling well. But we begin to reflect on Queen Elizabeth. 
And, and we were talking, and she said, I, I remember when Queen Elizabeth stepped in, 1952. Winston Churchill was the prime minister at the time in Great Britain. You know, Queen Elizabeth worked with 15 different prime ministers. 70 years she ruled in her role. She gave her heart to Jesus. She had a relationship with Christ. She went to church. And we were talking about a lot of just the, the things that Grand Grand remembered, how she carried herself through a lot of family pain, a lot of trauma, crisis in their home, how she carried herself through what her nation would face, the, the crises that happened across Great Britain. And, and I came across these quotes that I thought were so powerful, and I wanted to read it to you. The queen said, each day is a new beginning. She said, I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right. Come on, at least try to do what is right, right? You may not always get it, but keep trying. Somebody said, keep trying. Keep trying. She knew she wasn't perfect, but she was trying. She said, I'm trying. And then she said this, to take the long view. The way that Paul was going to handle his trials is he had to take a long view. He had to consider that these present sufferings could not compare to the glory that awaited him ahead. He had to consider that this trial, even though it felt so all up in his face, so intense, so crushing, that it was temporary. See, if you will take a long view on your trials, you will outlast your trials instead of your trials outlasting you. Tough times come, but tough people will outlast those tough times. She said, I had to learn to take the long view. Somebody say the long view. The long view means that I recognize this trial is just here for a moment. It's going to come to pass. It won't last forever. She said, I, I had to take the long view with Winston Churchill. I had to take the long view with Diane. I had to take the long view through pain in my family. I had to take the long view. And then she said, um, to give of my best in all that the day brings and to put my trust in God. And I got to thinking how, back to Paul, back to Paul. I got to thinking how God was sitting next to Paul and saying, Paul, I know you're overwhelmed. I know you're on trial. I know people want to kill you. I know that you have dodged death multiple times and you're not sure if you're going to dodge it this time, but I'm telling you, everything's going to be okay. Back to Acts 23, verse 11. He said, as you have stood in Jerusalem, you will stand in Rome. In other words, this is not your final rodeo. This is not your final chapter. This is not how the story ends. Take a long view. You're going to get through this. There's light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to make it. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, that we would leave changed, that we would leave encouraged, that we would leave with victory in our hearts. God, that we would see the victory in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would surrender our trials, past, present, and future, to you and invite you into our trials. And Lord, truly get the most out of every test that we walk through. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you so much, Joshua. Can we give the worship team a big hand? They did amazing today. Worship was so good every single week. Y'all, every single week, worship at Victory is just powerful. How do you handle your trials? How do you handle your trials? For some of us, we get upset, we get hurt, we get angry, and those, those trials keep lasting longer. The more angry you get at God and people and life, the trial tends to last longer than it should. 
We're not always in control of when a trial starts or when it stops, but we are in control with how we handle the trial. Trials expose and reveal who we are. Trials not only expose who we are, trials expose who other people are in our lives. Come on, trials will reveal who the snakes are. Trials will reveal who's real and who's not. Trials will reveal whether you have genuine faith or just faith when you're in the good times. Trials reveal what's going on inside your heart. It tends to pull it out. And then what do you do with all of that stuff? I wanna give you seven ways to handle your trials. If you're taking notes, note takers are history makers, world changers. Come on, when we take notes, we just retain it better. So seven ways to handle your trials. Number one, remember who you are in every trial. Just because you're in a trial doesn't mean you have lost your identity. So many people will forget who they are when they walk through a trial. I talked about Lion King a couple weeks ago, that when Simba lost his father, and grief is a trial, loss is a trial. When Simba lost his father, immediately he forgot whose he was, right? Scar, the accuser, right? There's always, there, there's always an accuser. Uncle Scar tells Simba, it was all your fault. And from that moment on, Simba runs from his authority. He runs from his position. He runs from where he's called to reign and rule. And instead he goes off into the jungle and he forgets that he's called to be a king. Romans chapter five says we are called to reign in life. As sons and daughters of the king, we have an inheritance and we are, we, are, we are not victims of our trials and our trauma. Listen, if I walk around all the time just going, gosh, everybody hurts me, I'm so hurt. I'm hurt by the church, I'm hurt by the government, I'm hurt by pastor, I'm hurt by my wife, I'm hurt by my kids, I'm just hurt, 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 and I'm hurt, by, and everybody hurts me. I have now accepted an identity as a victim, that I am just a victim, I'm a victim in life, and I am helpless. I am, as a victim, I can't do anything. But when I read my Bible, my Bible says I am more than a conqueror, that greater is he who lives in me than he that is in this world. I am not a victim, I am a victor right? I am a child of God. And when Paul declared his identity as a citizen of the Roman empire, but more importantly, as a child of God, the torture stopped. He was still in a trial, but he carried authority. His identity produced a sense of confidence. He was able to face the Sanhedrin with boldness. Proverbs 28 says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Roar. Some of you have lost your roar. You have lost your confidence because you're in a trial. And you're going, Paul, I just, I feel ashamed of myself. I've been there before. I've been there where I just felt ashamed. I just should have done better. I should have known better. I could have done better. And as long as I keep rehearsing my regrets, I'm going to talk myself out of my identity. Listen, uh, this morning, one of our kids had a poopy blowout. Ashley was talking about it, Gianna. And, and it was rough. Like she, she I mean, it, it was an explosion. <laughs> It took Ashley out of the 9 a.m. service. But can I tell you what Ashley didn't do? She didn't walk back and go, you're out of the family. You've lost your last name. You are no longer a Doherty. You have made a mess of our family today, right? Like that's insane. Who, what parent would say you've lost your last name because you made a mistake today? And yet we think God goes, you're not welcome in the church. I can't use you anymore. You have no anointing on your life because you made a poopy mess of yourself. And all of us make poopy messes. Come on, everybody poops in their diaper as a baby. And yet, 
We talk ourselves out of our authority because we convince ourselves God hates sinners. No, no, no. Sometimes Christians hate sinners, but God doesn't hate sinners. I'm thankful that it's not sinful Christians in the hands of angry Christians. It's sinful Christians in the hands of a loving father who welcomes you back like he did with the prodigal son and says, come back home. Let me put a ring on your finger. Remind yourself that you are still a child of God in every trial that you face. Paul found himself in a place that was uncomfortable, inconvenient, painful, and yet he kept his identity. How you handle the trials determines whether the trial handles you or whether you come out of that trial stronger going through it. So number one, remember who you are. Number two, face the trial with faith. I was talking with someone recently and they said, Paul, have you been watching the news? I said, well, yeah, yeah, I stay in touch with the news, not every day, but yeah, like, what are you referring to? They go, it's getting bad out there. I was like, tell me about it. Like, I love to hear about bad things, you know? <laughs> I could tell they wanted to talk about it. They're like, well, listen, man, it's getting rough. America, the world, it's, it's, it's going to get bad. Civil War, World War III is coming. It's going to get, I mean, there's going to be bad stuff and doom and doom. And we're going to have to dig, you know, 30 feet below the ground. We're going to live underground for the next 10 years. We need to stock up on rice and beans and stuff. And I'm trying to figure out how am I going to make rice and beans underground for, for the next 10 years. And I'm getting depressed. I'm like, man, life just feels terrible in this. Who you listen to in a trial can cause you to be afraid about the future or can cause you to have faith. If I'm listening to CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, or all of the you know, news websites that are the real news, it can stir up a sense of fear. And anxiety, like the government's going to own the meat market, and they're going to starve us, and there's a famine coming, and the drought, and we're all going to die. Uh, but when I read the Bible, it says we win. Like at the end of Revelation, believers win no matter what. We got the victory. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We're going to make it. I'm not saying we should be ignorant of what's going on in the world, but I don't want the government of America determining my faith. I don't want the economy, global economy, or America's economy determining whether I'm going to trust in God with my finances. And if I'm leaning on Fox News or MSNBC to determine whether I'm going to have faith in the middle of my trial, then I'm going to be on a roller coaster of whoever's talking, you know, like whoever it is that's talking. And most of the time, the, the people that are talking, they're not stirring up faith about the future. They're stirring up anxiety, stress, they're talking about all the negative things that are happening. Paul had to keep his focus in a trial. When you're standing on trial, you got to be focused. Paul knew he was about to have to defend his faith, and in the midst of his trial, he faced the Sanhedrin with faith. Somebody say, face it with faith. Face it with faith. Proverbs 31 says, the woman who fears the Lord laughs at the days to come. How does the woman who fears the Lord laugh at future days that might be painful? How does she have a sense of hope? How does she get up and declare, my best days are right in front of me? See, some people think that's so vain, that's so shallow. Actually, that's so theologically deep. That's how the Hebrew people believed the Messiah was going to come. The future was going to be bright. Their best days were not behind them. Their best days were truly ahead. And there was an eternal Zion that they were awaiting. Can I tell you, as the believers today here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of the best declarations we make every week that is in alignment with scripture is our best days are truly right 
in front of us. Don't let anyone talk you out of that. Because as a believer, it's true. I can face tomorrow because he lives and because he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, believers, we will stand before God in judgment. He will judge the whole world, the living and the dead. And what gives me confidence to stand before God on judgment day is not how good I've behaved, whether or not I pooped in my diapers, whether or not I made a mess. It's, it's the confidence that the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross paid for my sins, past, present. The finished work of Christ has made me righteous before him so I can face my trials with faith. Number three, how do, how do I handle trials? Number three, remember that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Look at this in Acts 23, verse 11. The Lord sat beside Paul. And he said, take courage. Everything is going to be okay. It's going to turn out well. Because God is with me, there's no need to fear. I remember when COVID hit and there was, you know, just a stirring of fear in our country. Um, I remember when 9-11 happened and there was a stirring of fear in our nation. What about anthrax? What about more terrorist attacks? You know, and all of the, 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 the fear that was being stirred up. What if, what if, what if we're the next place that, that the plane comes and crashes into? And what if this happens? And what if there's a shooting? And, and there's all this fear. We can live with what if fear constantly, or we can put our faith that the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is with us. Paul had to believe that God was with him. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to go through trials. The Lord with you doesn't mean you're exempt from troubles. Right after God says, I'm with you, look at verse 12 in Acts 23. Right after the Lord says, everything's going to turn out well, verse 12, the next day after God said this, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. This is right after God says, I'm with you, Paul. It's going to be great. And then 40 guys go on a fast. And it's not the Daniel fast. It's the kill Paul fast. Like you got some of y'all, anyone in the room ever fasted before? Like you gave up like meat or sugar or something, but you didn't do it to kill somebody. You're like, at the end of this, I kill somebody. These guys were like, we're not eating until we kill Paul. And Paul's like, hmm, God, I thought you said you were with me. God didn't stop the plot from forming, but he stopped the plot from succeeding. The Bible doesn't say no weapon could be formed. It says no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. In other words, there's going to be trials that form in your life. There's going to be assassination attempts on your spirituality. I didn't say like your your body. You're like, who's coming to kill me? I'm just saying the enemy is roaring. He seeks those whom he may devour. He wants to take out your faith. He wants to take out your trust in God. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He has a target on every believer's head. He's coming for you with fear, with anxiety, with stress. He's forming this plot. But I love this, and and, and it says that the nephew of Paul, in verse 16, when the son of Paul's sister heard about the plot to kill Paul and that there was an ambush and that they were going to manipulate and trick the the king, the leader, the commander, to get Paul to walk out of prison, and then they were going to jump him and stab him. That when the nephew found out, he went into the barracks and he told Paul, be careful. Listen, God always has a way of getting word to the people. (laughs) God always, I'm, I'm thankful for nephews that are listening. 
The, the, the nephew of Paul, he said, hey, listen, I overheard that there's a plot to kill you. Are you good with that? Paul's like, no, I'm not good with that. He's like, I didn't think so. Um, I know you're in a trial, but listen, there's some people that want to kill you. And Paul goes, go and tell the commander. And, and here's the thing that I want to say. Trials, if you're in isolation, trials will take you out. If you don't connect with community, if you don't have some relationships in the middle of your trial, you will die in isolation. I will die in a place of loneliness if I think no one cares about me in this trial. Paul had to believe that there were people connected to him that wanted to help him and save him. Number four, how do you handle trials? Stay connected in godly community. One of the biggest temptations in a trial is to stop going to church, to stop calling people, to stop telling people what's going on in your life, to keep it all to yourself, to just carry it right here. Carry the trial on the inside. But your trial was not meant to be conquered by yourself. In fact, if you try to do it all by yourself, you might end up self-destructing. You need community. We need community. We are better in trials when we are connected to godly community. Because of Paul's nephew and the commander, Paul was able to get through this trial and he was able to get out of the plans of the enemy. They saved his life. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for some people who have saved my life in the middle of a trial. I'm thankful for some life-saving relationships. Some people who have said, Paul, you're going to make it, but let me help you. The enemy wants to kill your assignment in this season. The enemy is after your purpose. The enemy is after your family. The enemy is after your future. So here's what we're going to do to help you. How many are thankful for godly community stepping in in the middle of your trial and helping you get through it? We need that. We, need a, we wouldn't be here today. We are not self-made success stories. We're here because there was a grandma, like Grand Grand, praying for us. There was a mama who was speaking to you. I remember at times there was moments in high school where I was overwhelmed by different things happening, just drama in middle school and high school. And I would come home and my mom would say, tell me about it. And I'd say, oh. and she goes, hold on, let me make you a grilled cheese sandwich and pour you a Coca-Cola. You know, she was like just a good bartender. She was just taking care of me. She said, just sit down right here. She'd sit me down on the stool and she'd put a grilled cheese and a Coca-Cola and she'd say, talk to me about it. What's going on? I said, Mom, you don't understand. She'd be like, tell me about it. We would talk around 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night, and she would give me thoughts and counsel. Then she would pray for me. Then, then I had just different friends in my life, different people in my life, different pastors. I have elders that speak into my life. If it wasn't for the elders, the covering in my life, I wouldn't be here today. God wants you to get connected in a discipleship track, in the restore class, in a connect group, in community. You were not meant to go through trials all by yourself. We need community. We need people. So watch this. In verse um, 20, Paul's nephew goes and tells the commander, he says, listen, there's a group of people. They want to kill my uncle, Paul. He says, don't tell anyone that you told me. Then the commander in verse 23 says, okay, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, and go to Caesarea at 9 p.m. tonight, right? There was specific instructions in the middle of Paul's trial. God has specific instructions in the middle of your trial. And God will use community to speak wisdom to you. 
It's not enough to just be in community. You've got to listen to people and you've got to listen to the right people because there will be people who will try to tell you what to do in a trial, but they don't care about your family. They don't care about your future. They care about their feelings. You've got to listen to people who are invested in your future and they care about you and they care about the calling of God on your life. So this commander says, Paul, there's people that want to kill you. I'm going to take care of you. Watch this. Paul leaves in the middle of his trial. The trial doesn't stop just because he changes locations. I'm going to say that again. The trial doesn't stop just because he changes locations. You can go to Los Angeles, but you're still in a trial. You can go to New York City, but you're still in a trial. You can go to Colorado. You can go to Africa, but you carry your trials with you everywhere you fly or drive. Just because you change a location doesn't mean you stop. We're not in charge of when a trial stops. And a location change won't stop a trial. Only a heart change will. Only God can do that. But I love that in the middle of this location change, God is protecting Paul through the trial. He gives him a royal protection. He gives him favor, right? Paul doesn't just travel with one horse. He travels with 200 horsemen. He travels with 200 spearmen. He travels with soldiers all around him, and they bring him to Caesarea. He's now staying in a house by the Mediterranean Sea. This is an Amalfi vacation in the middle of his trial. God's about to bring you out of your trial with more favor than you walked in to it. God's about to do what he did for Job, double for the trouble that you have walked through. But the only way is when you lean into God's plan in the middle of your trial. Are you trying to control your trial or are you letting God lead you in the trial? Number five, number five, how do I handle a trial? Let the trial lead you closer to Jesus and strengthen your faith. While Paul is escorted to Caesarea, Paul has moments where he's talking to God. He's drawing closer to God, just like Joseph drew closer to God when he was at the bottom of the pit, when he was accused of rape and he's living in prison for 12 years for a crime he didn't commit. It's in these moments that God begins to develop our character. Great faith requires great trials, but great trials produce even greater faith. Don't waste your trial by believing that this trial is punishment for your life. Don't waste this trial as if God can't do something in you or through you or for you. It's in this trial that Paul begins to witness and influence the Roman empire. He begins impacting Felix and Festus and the Roman commander and the Roman centurions. Paul understood that this trial was not a setback, but was a set up for a comeback of what God wanted to do. Come on, I'm preaching to you this morning of what God wanted to do in the middle of his trial. Let the trial lead you closer to Jesus. I want the band to come up in Acts 24. There's a group of religious people and they surround Paul and they have a lawyer named Tertullius. Tertullius stands in front of Felix, who is the overseer, the governor of Caesarea. It's a Roman uh, uh, governed area. And Tertullius stands on behalf of the Jewish Sanhedrin council. And he says, we have some accusations to make against Paul. I need some help for a moment. Pastor Ty, will you come up here? Pastor Tim Newton, will you come up here? Pastor Tim oversees the Tulsa Dream Center. Come on, mighty man of God. Well, you, you're going to be Apostle Paul. And Pastor Ty, you're going to be Tertullius. You're the lawyer. You're the attorney. And I want you to just point like he was doing and just circle Tim. Just circle him. This is what was happening here. 
the accusations were coming. And he was saying, let me tell you about this man, the Apostle Paul. He is a troublemaker. He is an abusive spiritual leader in this city. He has caused so much pain in Jerusalem. He has caused division. He has caused strife. Now, as Paul is listening to these accusations, he is on trial. There is a jury that is in the room. If you've ever seen Runaway Jury, or if you've ever seen Lincoln Lawyer or some lawyer movie or some jury, like there is a group of people that are watching the accusations. Everyone in the room is nodding in agreement with Tertullius. They're all like, yes, this guy deserves to die. Can you imagine standing on trial and everyone in the room is against you? This is where Paul's at. Keep circling them, Ty. But what gave Paul the confidence to stand and speak that day? Because after Tertullius was done accusing him, Felix looks at Paul and says, defend your case. Paul begins to speak about who he is and what he believes. When he speaks, he speaks with boldness. He speaks with confidence, not because he's a skilled communicator, not because he has behaved so well his whole life, not because he's never made a mistake, but because he is close to Jesus. When you walk through a trial and you draw close to Jesus, Jesus stands between you and the accuser. Revelation chapter 12 says, we overcome the accuser of the brethren. The accuser, by the way, is not your mother-in-law. It's not your boss. It's not your roommate. The accuser is not your son or your ex or whoever it is, your boyfriend, girlfriend. The accuser is the devil, right? It's a spirit of accusation. Shame on you. Shame on you. You're unworthy. You're unqualified. You're unfit. You don't belong here, right? That's what the accuser says. But what gave Paul the courage? Revelation says, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Tim, get your finger right back at the accuser. You need to remind that accuser, I am bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I've been reconciled with God himself. You're right, I do have a past, but my past is not an indicator of my future. See, Jesus intervened. He knocked me off my horse in Damascus. He reminded me that he created me on purpose, for a purpose. My best days are right in front of me. God is not finished with me yet. Come on, you need to point back. Give these guys a big hand. You need to point back at that accuser and say, you're right, you're right, you're right. I am unworthy in man's eyes, but in God's eyes, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful that God saves sinners. Number six, someone needs your testimony in this trial. Felix was listening closely as Paul began to defend his faith. Paul began to talk about what God had done in his life. Paul said, I stand on trial today because I believe in the resurrection. I believe that God loves sinners. I believe that God sent his son to die for Greeks and Jews and Gentiles and Africans and Americans and Chinese, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. So Felix dismisses the council. He says in verse 22 of Acts 24, he says, I will decide this case from here on. Everyone else can leave. So he dismissed the jury. He dismissed the accusers. In verse 23, he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So now Paul is protected by the Roman Empire. 
he's provided for, right? Friends are dropping off food. It's like Uber Eats. He's got Red Rock Canyon coming. He's got Neighborhood Jam. He's got Taco Bueno, whatever you like, Taco, Taco Bell. He's got, like, people are bringing him food. He's got protection. And not only that, he's got a bright future. And he's getting to preach to the governor of the city. God's going to use the trial that the enemy was thinking was going to end you to use you to share his glory to people who are in trials themselves. See, your trial is not just about you. You're walking through a trial in your marriage right now. It's because God wants you to start a connect group someday down the road to help heal other people's marriages. You're walking through a divorce right now. You're walking through pain. You're single and you're going, does God even care about me? my dream to get married? It's because God's going to use the season of your singleness to lead other people who are in that same season someday back to Jesus. God's going to use the trials of your waiting time, your agony, your tears, your pain of what you walked through, of, of the sin that was done to you or the sin that you did. God's going to use all of it. God never wastes a pain. God never wastes a person's past. God never wastes a poopy diaper. God never wastes a mess. He says, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. If you will surrender your trial to God, God wants to use your trial as a testimony for him. But here's the last point. As Paul was sharing with Felix in verse 25, Paul began to preach to Felix and he said, God loves you. God can make you righteous. Paul talked about righteousness. Paul talked about self-control, the fruits of the spirit. Paul talked about the judgment to come. And Felix was terrified. Felix said, that's enough. That's enough for now. He said, you may leave, right? Felix goes, I'm done. Cut this 11 a.m. service off right now. Turn it off. We're done. It's time for lunch. Dismiss me. Felix goes, I'll call for you when it's more convenient for me. So many people are living their lives based on convenience. And trials are inconvenient. So people who are living their life searching for convenience, when a trial happens, instead of facing the trial and dealing with the painful mess of the trial, they will run from the trial. I don't want to deal with it. I'm out. You go, hold on, Paul, come back. We're not done with service. But this is how people live. We run from trials, and then the trial ends up lasting longer than it should. Yesterday, I was walking around our campus, and I was wearing my Birkenstocks, which are like sandals, open toes, right? And I wasn't paying attention. I was walking in the creek bed behind the football field, and I walked right into a stick that was stuck in the mud, and it just went into my foot. You guys want to see it? Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I won't show you. Ashley told me, don't show them your foot. People hate looking at feet. But there is a, there's a, there's, there's a scar there from yesterday. I, it hurt so bad. I just was like, oh, I got to get back to the church. I got to get back to my office. So I just kept walking, went back to the church, sat down, started working on the message more and more. And then I was thinking, I, I, didn't, I didn't investigate that cut. I didn't look at it close enough. I wonder if there's anything in there. So I, I looked at my foot and there was a piece of wood that had lodged itself into the side of my foot. Not just a splinter, like a thick, like this, like, you know, splinters. This thing was a thick piece of wood and it was stuck in my foot. And I tried to pull it out with my fingers and it wouldn't come out. So I got tweezers and I began to dig into the cut. And with each dig, it was painful. It was hurting. But I knew if I don't deal with this wood stuck in here, 
it's gonna get contaminated over time. If I don't face this trial head on right now, I'm going to get bitter the longer that I allow my anger to fester. If I don't deal with the wounds of what people did or said or how I felt, I'll get angry at God, I'll get angry at the church, I'll become a cold person. I'll I'll lose my love for humanity, for God. If I don't let God handle this trial right, if you don't remove that wood that's gotten lodged in your heart from the trial. Number seven, here's the last point. Keep your heart right with God. Keep your heart. How do you handle a trial? Paul had to look at Felix and go, okay, I love you. God loves you. Paul was left in prison for the next two years. He, he was provided for, he was protected, but he was, he was stuck there. And he had to learn to trust God in a place that felt unfair, in a season that felt, I wish I could wrap this chapter up with a nice bow, but next week we'll pick up in Acts 25. It gets worse, but then it gets better. Come back next week, it'll be good. But here's the point, Paul had to keep his heart right. Some of you are in a trial right now, and the test is not about how fast you can get out of the trial, how soon it can end. The real test is what are you going to let God do in you? What does God want to do in you in this trial? Would you stand your feet all over this place? God wants to work in you in this trial. Don't waste it. Don't waste a trial. God wants to mature us. He wants to grow us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to purify us. He wants to draw us into a place of humility. Those who humble themselves will find grace, but those who pride themselves in being the one that was completely flawless will continue to experience the pain of not having God's grace. Grace comes through humility. So if I need God's grace in a trial, I've got to keep humbling myself. The lower you go, the more grace comes in. If I can get lower, his grace can get stronger. If I can get lower to say, God, this trial is yours. This test is yours. Do what you want to do. It's in that low place. It's in that humble place where God goes, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you just need to humble yourself, you just need to invite God's help in a trial that you're walking through right now. Maybe it has to do with your finances. Maybe it has to do with your health. Maybe it has to do with the future. Maybe it has to do with something you've been waiting for, you've been praying for, and it just feels like delay after delay after delay. And you're wondering, God, are you there? And he's there and he's with you and he's for you and he's working in you and he is still your defender and he still sees your case and he says I promise you this trial is going to produce something beautiful on the other side if you will lean into it God says you're going to come out like Job did with double for the trouble that you've walked through you're going to come out through this trial like Abraham and Sarah you're going to be the father of many nations if you can just wait if you can trust if you can lean in with patience and say God I surrender the need to be in control of the timing the understanding the logic, the control of the outcome, Lord, I release it to you. I trust in you. My times are in your hands. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed, if God is speaking to you and you say, yes, that's me, I want you to just lift your hand all over this room. God's talking to you and saying, give it to me, give it to me. Give me this season, give me this trial, give me this test you're walking through. All over this room, just keep your hands up. God's talking to you. You need his help today. You need his strength today. You need grace. You need the Holy Spirit's guidance. Lastly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I just need to surrender my heart to Jesus. I need to repent and get things right with him today. I want him to be Lord of my life. Raise your hand. Today's your day for salvation. Today is your day to let God be Lord of your life. If you raise your hands for either of those, would you leave your seat? Come and meet me at this altar. Today is a day where God is going to move in your heart. Just find a place at this altar. We're going to worship. We're going to give it to God. We're going to say, Lord, have your way in my life, in my heart. Do what you want to do. God, produce in me the character, the perseverance, the Lord, the, the for forgiveness, the repentance, God. Do in me what you want to do in this trial. I give it to you. I invite you into my trial. I invite you into my test. And I say, have your way. Let's just begin to worship God. Andrew, Lamar, let's just give it to the Lord this morning. Whatever it is you're walking through, whatever it is you need his help rebuilder of broken down walls he hears your prayers he loves you he's with you confident in this I will see the goodness of the going to see the goodness of God. David in the Bible, he said, I would have given up. I would have lost heart 
while I was waiting. David waited 16 years between when he was promised to be king and when it happened. 16 years he waited. He said, I would have lost heart. Spears were being thrown at him. He was pushed out of his own country. He was on the run. He said, I would have given up had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I remain confident. I have kept my confidence in God's goodness, in the future of God's plan in my life. I've chosen to, to anchor my hope in the middle of my trial, in the middle of my storm. I have chosen to anchor my hope in God. The other night we were dropping Grand Grand off after dinner and Liam was with me and he said, Grand Grand, what was it like when you were little? And she said, well, you know, I was born in 1923. And um, she said, uh, 1924, she said, I was born during a time they called the Great Depression. And she said, you know, all of America was, there was a famine, there was a drought. The whole nation ran out of money. And Liam goes, did you have electricity? She said, no. He said, what about a cell phone? She said, no. He said, microwave? She said, no. Refrigerator? She said, no. He said, computer? She said, no. She said, we didn't get computers until the 90s. We didn't have cell phones until the 90s. She lived 70 years before she had a cell phone. She said, we made it. He said, how? How did you survive without the internet? He said, what did you do for your food? How'd you get it warm? She said, fire. Oh, yeah. People lived for thousands of years without what we have today. And, she, and then he said, how did you refrigerate your food? And he, she said, we would put it in a bucket. We'd put it down in the well. And we just left it down there. And that's what kept it cool. And he said, that is crazy. And she said, we learned to trust in God. I think our world may have to learn that again. But I think what we're going to find is that God is good, that he takes care of his kids, just like he did 2,000 years ago, just like he did 1,000 years ago. And we might have to wait on things. We might experience delays. You might be waiting to get married, waiting to have kids, waiting for things to happen, waiting for healing to happen, praying for a situation to turn around. But God is going to take care of you. Grand Grand said, I remember there were times our family was walking through so many different trials and tests. You know, when you live 98 years, you see a lot, you walk through a lot. She said, but God was always faithful. It reminds me of the long view, just continuing to come back to God's going to be faithful. He's going to get you through this. This trial is not permanent. It's temporary. You're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen, church. Lord, I pray that we would receive that message today. Would you just put your hand on your heart? Say, Jesus, I give you this trial. Every trial I give to you. My past, my present, and future trials I give to you. God, I need your help. I need your grace. I'm counting on you and leaning not to my own understanding. You are my God. I repent of my sin and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for caring about me. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen.